What's up, guys? We're going to choose podcast. My name is Saul Monali, at Saul Monali NBA on Twitter. I want to apologize to everyone listening right now and my guest uh, today because I actually did not plan to have this guest on today. I did plan on having this guest on for the 250th episode of Red Nation Hoops, and I was going to record our segment next week. And so I had to push. I had to, you know, our last guest, I guess he pushed back, actually. He pushed back on me this morning. And so I'm, I'm having to readjust on the fly. And I, I'm not well prepared for this episode. I have my notes on my computer and on my easel here. But I, I'm really disorganized. I feel as about, about as unprepared as I've ever been for a podcast. But we're going to roll with it. Because Dan and I have done a lot of podcasts together. We have good chemistry. So I think, I think we'll make it work. Dan Favalli of Bleacher Report, by the way, is the guest. I probably should have introduced that. But again, I'm, I'm so scattershot today. I, I, I can't, you know... Look, this you told me this is when you were supposed to record, so you should probably be having like a little bit together. And I but feel like it wasn't this po- it wasn't this podcast topic though. It was going to be a different topic entirely. Um, how do you think I feel? I'm just going to go, <laughs> but that's like how I record my own podcast, no prep whatsoever. But I'm I think I should probably <sighs> be offended. This is the second time in a row I've been a backup rather than the actual guest. I'm going to well, start you, taking you, you were, <laughs> were going to be the the actual guest next week. That's what's like you're you're actually I'm actually like rushing your your part and you're going to be on episode because I would have not been able to do it next week. So this is just absolutely perfect. Well, I mean, the the good thing is episode 250 is in in two weeks. So we would actually been able to record that within that two week time frame. I just I'm just pre-recording tapes right now. But yeah, I wanted to have you on for 250 because like, of course, why would I not have Dan on for 250? And like now I have to come up with another guest uh, to fill that slot because we're taking up this topic. But I, hey, you just can't make it the guest who canceled on you because you need someone who's going to be oh, there for no, 250. No, yeah, th- th- that guy is done. He, I mean, <laughs> he's not done, but he, he's not going to be on 250. He's not going to be on 250. <laughs> well, I'm excited. This is going to be interesting to check in on because like you said, I didn't realize it was so long ago in March, but I guess that makes sense. That we did oh, this we, exercise. Should, we should probably explain what the exercise is. So the we are too. right, yeah. So I I last did this exercise on your podcast in March, where we ranked the rebuilding teams, right? And I wanted to do a check in on this uh, since the a lot of time has passed, five months, and you know our our order has probably changed. You know, I I know you don't know your order off the top of your head right now. I kind of know what my order was, but. I'm, it's definitely changed around just looking at it right now. I Just based off what these teams have done since then. So the rebuilding teams are the following. Um, the Portland Trailblazers, the Oklahoma City Thunder, the Houston Rockets, the Sacramento Kings, um, the San Antonio Spurs, um, the Indiana Pacers, and the Orlando Magic. So Do we need we, to add the Jazz in there now too? Should we? Do we? Feel, they, they traded Gobert and like Mitchell's on the block, so I feel it's, like it's so early though. I guess we could, but it's like they're, they're probably still going to be good as as of right now. Looking at their roster, if they enter the season, they're probably still going to be good enough to not qualify. You think? I, I think they're going to be terrible. Like if if they Maybe. don't trade yeah. Mitchell, Danny Ainge is just gonna he's gonna trade everybody else. Like if he's not, right. I don't think he's just gonna keep the. They the traded Russell and Neal too, right? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Two. Yeah, I mean. Hmm, that, that is interesting. How, how good do we expect Utah to be next year? I think they're going to be like, I still somehow be better than the Kings. If this is the, if this is the roster, are they better than the Kings? It's funny because I, I bet you the Kings probably, don't think they're rebuilding, not. and we're ranking them among the rebuilding teams. I find that hysterical. Just well, I, well, I, 
I mean, I guess I guess we'll, 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 we'll see. You and I think of this completely differently, so we'll, we'll get into this disagreement in a minute. But like, I I actually do think the Kings are going to be pretty good this year, and we'll talk about that in a second. Oh boy! So we we're, we're we're ranking the we're ranking these teams' futures, right? So I'm guessing, what's the criteria for this? You want to rank immediate futures, or do you want to rank the brightest futures in general? Well, are we like ranking them ahead of just for this season, or are we thinking like we're trying to project like five years out? We're just trying to project, as in like. Which team, like, can we like definitively say like this? This team has a has a higher ceiling than this team, right? Kind of like that. But you know long I mean? term or just for next year was my question. Whenever they hit their ceilings. Oh, okay. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, like, uh, so if you feel like a certain a better certainty about one player about one team reaching their peaks, you know, you might be you might rank them ahead. It really depends on how you want to do this. If you want to project out on a team, you can do that. You can put them higher on your list. If I if I want to you know just be like really practical about it, I'm gonna put them higher on my list. You know, like we can kind of do it how we want to do it. But essentially, we're ranking what we believe the ceilings of these teams are. Got it. So we're not taking into account the assets that they have to get better. We, we are. We are. We are. We are. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You can project. Okay. Yeah. Like there's a lot of projecting in this, right? Because we don't know, right? We don't know what their ceilings are gonna be. Um. Okay. Who wants to go first? I can start. <laughs> I think so. I'm gonna st- I'm gonna put the Blazers. We're going worst to worst to first, right? Okay, let's do that. So I'm gonna have the Blazers there at. I guess would they be seven or eight? Are we including Utah? Did we did we figure that out yet? Hmm. I do think it. they need to be in here. I think let's they do it. Let's be. do it. Let's do it then. Let's so do it. I'm gonna have Portland at eight, and okay. I think that there's a chance they reach their peak before anybody else because they have Dame and they have Nurkic and they have Jeremy Grant. They're gonna be. They should be probably the best team among this group next season. But I just don't know what that peak is. It might be fifth in the West. And I think when you look at these other teams, uh, their peaks are going to be so much higher because of the blue chip prospects they have in place. And I actually think Portland had a pretty good offseason. I'm not a fan of, I don't see why they had to extend Dame. But if you if you went out and tried to trade, you can't now. But let's say you could trade Dame right now. The offers that you had for him before are not going to get any worse now because he has those extra two years on his deal. And I think people need to take that into account. And I'm a big fan of Anthony Simons. Uh, I think that to get Jeremy Grant for such a low cost was good. They were able to get Shaden Sharp, who a lot of people think could be the best person in the draft. They have heart. I like GP too. But there doesn't feel like there's a there's some upside because of Simons and Sharp. But it feels sort of finite because those two are not going to peak, especially especially Sharp when you like during Dame's title window. And so I think this is a team that will fight for the playoffs this year unless there's a catastrophic injury. But if you're trying to project forward and talking about upside, I think it's very clear. Like I, I would make a case for them above the Kings if I really had to, but I think it's pretty clear that like their window is so now, and yet they're not really built to win at the highest level now. Yeah, I mean, a lot of this does really depend on what you think of Shaden Sharp, right? Because if you think he is like a generational type talent, like somebody who can come in immediately, make an impact, and be like one of the best players in the league by year two. Right, which is like the absolute like apex, apex. Like we're talking like the Jordans, the 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 Magic Johnsons. Like those are the guys that can do that. LeBron, right? Like if you think he's that guy, then yeah, you're he's Portland's probably higher on your list. I don't think he's that guy. I think he's very good. And if they had just done that this offseason, I might have them higher on the list. I actually do. I'm right with you. I had them eighth on the list that last time. And I guess I have them ninth on the list this time because we're including the Kings, the, the the Jazz in this. So 
yeah, I'm, I'm with you. They're, they have to be at the bottom because it's like last time I was like, what are you selling me? You're selling me Anthony Simons. You're selling me like, like Nasir Little or like Trendon Watford. Like I, I like Trendon Watford actually. And I do like Anthony Simons, but like those guys aren't, you know, what you build a core around a nucleus around. And like, what else did they do this summer? They, I think they, they signed Anthony Simons to that ridiculous contract. Was it four years? Why is it ridiculous? It's hundred million dollars with a cap going up to like one fifty very soon. I think that that's fine. The season he had hundred million dollars. I, I guess I, I do still have to do some readjusting and how I think about the cap. But okay, what does that average out to in, in like today's cap? Right? Is that going to be like what an eighteen million dollar year a deal? Uh, it was four for a hundred, so it averages out to twenty five. No, no. What I'm saying is like, what is that? What is that? What, what is, what is like that today? In the eighteen to twenty range, which is fine still, for someone who can hit off the dribble jumpers at the the ridiculous clips that he can. That's it is funny though that they me. go from they go from Dame and CJ to Dame and Ant. It's just a little funny that they had two small guards before, and now they still have two small guards. Right. Like again, like that's still too much money for me. I wouldn't pay him that much. Like I, I would probably like the most I'd be comfortable paying him is probably seventeen. Like just because just because when you're this type of team, you can't be giving out that kind of money. Uh, Yusuf Nurkic for like four years, what was it, seventy million? Okay, that, that's 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 reasonable. That's reasonable. Oh, I actually thought that was bad. Really? Was their, yeah. I just I don't know what the center market was that he got four seventy. Mitchell Robinson got four sixty. I have zero idea. Even I if, wouldn't have done it, but but I think it's a reasonable deal for him. Like I, I wouldn't have done it for the Blazers. Like if I'm the Blazers, believe that he's going to be an average to above average defensive player for the entire life of that contract, and I just don't think he is younger than I think people realize. This deal takes him to like his age 31 or age 32 season or whatever it is. But I don't have that confidence. I thought like 455, like that area felt like more apropos. Mm. Yeah, I I think this is probably uh, what I would say his market value would have been. Uh, I think like the center market, it, it really depends on what you think the center is in today's NBA, right? If you think they're all like really disposable and like, a- unless you're Jokic or Nurkic, like, you shouldn't be getting heavy, a lot of money, which a lot of people believe that. I actually don't believe that. I think there is a middle ground there. I, and I think he would fall in that middle ground. And so if it really depends on what you think of centers, right? Or on if you think that deal is fair. So I, I, I think there's a, there's a range for the, your Nurkic's, the Clint Capella's, those guys to get paid. And I probably would have paid him something like this. Wow. That's, I would not have, I absolutely would not have done that. I'm more I comfortable mean, with the Gary Payton, the second contract by far. And I know people were up in arms that they gave him a player option at the end, but I don't really care about that. I mean, what is, what is $70 million? I mean, in four years in the modern NBA, what is that? 12, I get like a $48 million four year just, deal. I think you can pretty easily make the case that Nurk is not going to be part of your best playoff lineups if you get that far. And so if I'm going to pay anybody that type of money, that's not on the perimeter. If it's a big or if it's like a true forward, like I want them to be guaranteed to be on the floor in high leverage playoff moments. And there are going to be certain matchups where that's just not going to work for Nurkic because a lot of what he can do on defense is like drop coverage. And there's not a lot else that you can really do with him. And I know Portland tried some different things last year. Maybe it gets better this year, but I don't, I don't think the deal is going to age into one of the worst contracts in the NBA. To be clear, I just think when you know you have to pay Grant, after this year, if you want to keep Josh Hart, you got to pay him too. You just paid Ant, you paid Dame until Kingdom Come. Now that just felt like a stretch too too far for me, especially because who was giving Nurkic four and seventy on the open market? And the answer is nobody. Indiana wasn't giving him that contract. The Spurs weren't giving him that contract. The Magic certainly weren't going to give him that contract. So I do know 
that it's more than a business in the sense that you can't always play. I think the Cavs, for instance, are over leveraging themselves with Colin Sexton. I think how they were handling this is absolutely bonkers. But like, I thought there was more of a middle ground than this. 470 treats him like he's one of your most important players over that four-year span. I just don't think he is that to them. I just think that's going to be starter money in a few years. For a it center. might be, but like... It's weird that you're comfortable paying Nurkish four and seventy when well, he's older, yeah. plays a position that's more that's objectively more disposable. When you're he's objectively more disposable what he does than what Ant does. The off the dribble shot. Well, it's thirty million dollars more more money. That's why over four years that amounts to like seven million a year. Right. And he's younger. Like, Ant, yeah, that, that's that's a lot. That, over. You're talking about a mid level exception. Like, I mean, not, not, I guess mid-level exception is like 10 now, but you know, the, whatever the old mid-level exception is, that's a lot of money more. Uh, I just, well, he, I think he's paid like a top 15 center right now. I need to double check. And do you think Yusuf Nurkic is a top 15 center through and through over the course of this deal? He's in the 15 to 20 range. Again, I don't think it's a massive overpay. It's just, I'm shocked that you're fine with that, but you don't, you like care a lot about the, the Simons deal. Here's what I'll say. I think it's more. I would say I would be more surprised if Nurkic is the contract that gets dumped versus Simons. That is that, a wild take. Yeah, I just, I just, that's a lot. Of, you're talking about by the time he is, how how old is Simons? Twenty five, like twenty three right now. He's twenty three, right? This deal takes him through his twenty six season, so I think he's twenty two, maybe okay, he's twenty two. Okay, so by the age of twenty four, he's gonna have fifty million dollars remaining. Right, and I'm I'm not even talking about his age. I'm just describing how close into his contract the Blazers may not need him anymore. I think. I don't Why know. would they not need him? He's he could actually be part of a rebuild. Nurkic cannot, and I think that contract is a lot harder to move than Anthony Simons is because teams will look at his youth and his offensive skill set. Okay, um, Jeremy Grant. I like Jeremy Grant. I I'm not sure if I like that trade for them, but I think I I, I I'm, not, I'm not I don't hate it too much. Gary Payton, I actually really like the signing. You know, like I think that's that's not bad. Uh, again, Shaden Sharp, I slam dunk right. Like every team would have taken him at that spot. I think I, I don't. I love that pick, and I think I would have loved to see what he could have done in summer league had he not gotten hurt. But I, they they didn't do anything to improve their prospects long term. I think that's the real thing here. Yeah, I think look, it, a lot with Shaden Sharp would be tied to that. But it's also you know how are you able to develop him when you have what is a fairly immediate timeline still. That's going to be interesting to see how they juggle that once he's healthy. And it seems like this is an organization that may be for sale soon. I mean, like it seems they like cut, they're going to have they're to be. Letting, they're not having their broadcast team travel with the team anymore. So uh, they're already starting to cut costs apparently, which is right. wild. Wild. Right. Unless, unless the broadcast team asks for it because they're still worried about COVID, which Totally acceptable, but I have a feeling that was not the case. And so that's just an abominable decision by the Blazers. Right. I, I think the league wants Jody Allen to sell and Jody Allen doesn't want to sell. I believe that's kind of what's going on, right? If this and is like, the cost-cutting maneuvers they're taking, uh, the Blazers need to be sold. If that's, I don't, uh, excuse me, if you can't curse on this podcast, but no, that, go ahead. that is just absolutely asinine in like part of the experience of the broadcast team is like being there, developing relationships with people so that you can fill airtime with these different quotes and stuff. Now you're just going to have them in a studio for forever, like forever away. I just, that is just like, how much are you really saving? What is that doing to your bottom line on a billion dollar franchise? It's just like, come yeah. on. That is so like just unnecessarily penny pinching. Yeah. And like the, they clearly are keeping Dame around for that next regime to step in and have that franchise. Isn't that like, the reason. 
Let's yeah, yeah, it's it's bad. Here yeah. when he's forty, but like we can't pay the broadcast team to travel with the club. That's just so weird. Yeah, it it is weird. But I mean, listen, Dame Dame's gonna probably be worth that contract for at least the majority of it, right? Like I, I don't know about the t- the tail end, right? Like I think it's pro it's likely he probably is still worth a good percentage of that money, whatever he's getting paid at that point. What he's gonna be thirty seven at that point, right? I think it's 36, 37, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. He's probably going to be paid like at least like 70% or whatever that, wherever that money is at that point. But I, it's just, you're locking yourself in kind of like when you don't need to be kind of like the blade, the Washington wizards with, with Bradley Beal. Right. They're, they're right. kind of doing the yeah. same thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're not including the wizards in this, by the way, I, I feel like you're about to ask that. No, no way. <laughs> uh, we're at a terrible pace right now. So yeah. number, this is number eight would be number eight. Yeah. Are the, were the Cavs in this exercise when we first did it? They should be, right? Or no, they weren't because they were I, so good when we recorded it. Yeah, they, they were too good. I think they're still going to be pretty good next year, too. Yeah, I guess you can make the case that they don't just belong. But anyway, number eight for me, um, since you said there's nine teams now, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, number eight is uh, the Kings for me. I think yeah. they're, even if you're higher on them, you need to explain the long-term upside to me. Sabonis and Fox are still relatively young. I think the fit on offense was fine for them. Uh, Keegan Murray... I know people were up in arms that the Kings didn't take Jaden Ivey because they think he'd be the best player available. The Kings could have took Jay, taken Jaden Ivey and people would have been ticked off because they already had the Aaron Fox on the roster. It was like a no-win pick for the Kings. And I actually like Keegan Murray's fit. I like the movement shooting that he's going to provide. Uh, he looked a little bit better defensively than I thought during Summer League. But he's not someone who's going to turn into this A-plus-plus player. And now you don't have that prospect on the team without Halliburton anymore. And so while your team should be entertaining... Uh, you've surrounded De'Aaron Fox with a, and Sabonis with a bunch of shooting. I don't know what the path is to them having a good defense. It's Davion Mitchell, Harrison Barnes, and Keegan Murray, Keegan Murray. defending their butts off. Um, but like, what? It, where is that getting you to in the Western Conference? And so it might be a little bit unfair that some of these teams are being judged against how far they can rise up the East. But that's just the landscape right now. I don't. I still don't see the path to the Kings being more than a playoff team. And if we ranked, which we should not do right now, but if like we were trying to pick the top 10 teams in the West, I'm not going to guarantee that they're among the top 10. I think the only teams for sure that they're going to be worse than is OKC and Houston by design. I think Utah and San Antonio by design. So I guess technically there's like up for grabs, a free for all like between who's that fifth team because you need to be better than five other teams to make the play in. So I don't think that they're quite there yet. And I don't know what their path out of there is. They And they traded... Like the first round pick in theory for Kevin Herter isn't a terrible idea, but it's protected in such a way that it's probably not going to convey for a while unless you think the Kings are going to be really good. And it's protected until the end of time. So it it prevents other other trades that much harder. So I don't see the more I'm talking, I almost want to put the Kings behind the Blazers at this point. (laughs) So I, I, I have them higher. I, I'm, tr- I'm trying to decide what, what I want to do here. If I want to talk about them right now, or do, or do I wait till we get to that point in the list? I, I think we'll wait till we get to that point in the list. Um, all right, I have San Antonio here at, at eight. Uh, San Antonio. So I, I really like what they're doing. Like I, as a front office, like they're doing all the right moves. They just don't have much of a nucleus yet, right? For me to get optimistic about and get high on. Like it's not. It's not that I don't. It's not like they're not doing the right things. Like this is not a criticism. Of their front office, they're doing they're stripping down the, the right way. They're just it's just way too early. We're like in like point phase yeah. zero of the rebuild, you know? Yeah, I, I'd be with you. I'm probably. I mean, I'll have them. Actually, we could probably get into would I have them next? 
I probably would have the Spurs at seven, which isn't really an insult. It's just, like you said, it's a little bit, it'd be between them or the Jazz, I guess, but the Jazz still, in theory, have Mitchell. Um, mm -hmm. I really like Josh Primo, and I don't know if people have watched enough of him. I think he's going to wind up being really good and someone who can give you a lot of just creation off the dribble and change of pace off the dribble as well. And he'll be a better shooter from like running your offense than I believe DeJounte Murray ever was. The Keldon Johnson extension, even if you don't think he's an A-plus player, which I don't think he is either, that's a steal. Yeah. Four years and 70, I think it's 74 or 76 with the potential to get to 80. He's uh, awesome. I, lo I love Devin Vassell. I actually really love Jeremy Sohan for them too. I'm a little bit lower on him now that I know Chip Angland won't be in San Antonio to help him with his shooting, but he's a really smart player when it comes to moving the ball and just the decisions he makes on defense. And I think a lot of their value, similar to what's going to be happening with Utah, if we're assuming Donovan Mitchell is gone, you look at the, the future draft equity they've picked up, and I'm, I'm talking about into the distance. So you have the Bulls pick. Uh, I think it's in 23, right? That's their order. No, they have the 25 Bulls pick, do they not? So yeah, they have that. And then they get the 28 pick swap from Boston, which is far enough in the future. And then you get those um, two firsts plus a swap, uh, all of them unprotected from Atlanta after it all postdates the Murray deal right now. So there's a chance things go belly up in there, plus all your own picks, the incentive to tank now because you don't owe picks to anybody else. And so even if you say that their blue chip cornerstone of the future is not on this roster, they're going to have enough enticing bites at the draft apple that you can reasonably assume they will get that player sooner rather than later. It's so weird that the Spurs became like a normal NBA team overnight. Like the, before, they just never engaged with the rest of the market, right? And then Brian Wright comes in in like 2018 or something. And like they're, they're operating like a normal rebuilding team. They're not hanging on. They're like actually like trying to make trades, strip down the roster. Let's rebuild. Let's do a proper rebuild. Like the DeJounte Murray trade was shocking to me. It was shocking, not because I, not because of the value. I mean, some of it was the value, but like be, be, because they did it, just because they did it. Like the, I would have never thought they would have done that kind of a trade just because, you know, you thought the, the, the conventional wisdom all along was like they're going to keep this team good enough for while Pop is, you know, in the latter years of his career. And like they're not doing that. They're doing what they need to do as a franchise at this stage in the rebuild. Yeah, I'm with you. Who did you have at seven? I had Orlando. Um, oh, yeah. Um, so I like Orlando. Like, uh, no, well, yeah, I, I like Orlando a lot. And I, it's not because of, uh, it's not because I don't like Paulo Banquero. It's because I think Utah, I think has some more flexibility up, upside wise. I'm projecting more with them, but Orlando, I think, you know, Paulo Banquero, I can't believe like it was a shock to people that he was, he should be like a number one pick candidate. Like the guy was amazing. Like not before he got into the NBA, he was like a, a great facilitator, great scorer, uh, like, isn't this kind of what we're looking for in the NBA? Like shoot, shooting, dribbling, passing, and size. And for some reason, like there was like a snobbiness in the way we talked about him. Like, like oh, he can't defend, so we it's hard to build lineups around him. Like, okay, he has a weakness, right? Like that's fine. Like, he, like all these prospects have weaknesses. Why aren't why weren't we talking about like Jabari Smith like that with his ball handling, right? Like for some reason, like defense is it, like some it was like the fetishization of defense like the fact that this is what's preventing him from being a number one pick candidate and i'm so glad he actually went number one but I, i'm a little disappointed in us like the nba like basketball twitter that it took us so long to visualize him as that kind of player 
and he's perfect for Orlando. Like, this is exactly what they need. They've been forever, they've been drafting all these defensive prospects, right? Like, these guys who really can't do much on the offensive end, and they finally have someone to tie it all together. A guy who can be the centerpiece of your offense. And this is perfect for Jalen Suggs, because I still like him a lot. I might have yeah, been wrong cool. on... We've, yeah. we've veered, or people veered too far from reality with Jalen Suggs. He had a tough rookie year, but rookie years are often nightmares for guards, and they gave him so much of like the agency over and the he offense. was injured. Yeah. Yeah, he did. He was picked up injured and like, but you just look at the responsibility he was saddled with because Markel Fultz was injured for a ton of the year. RJ Hampton kind of sucked. You had Cole Anthony as your best guard, probably your Gary Harris, depending on how you want to look at it, but they gave him a lot of responsibility. And I think Bancaro streamlines a lot of that for him and, and others as well. I'm surprised you actually have them this low. Um, well, I mean, it's because I really like the freaking go bear trade was masterful well like, I, 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 I yeah let's talk about i, I have i have utah next well i have utah next too so we both have them at six right oh, oh no, so, so who, who, who do you have at seven then i'm sorry um oh i did we go out of order i think i was supposed to go first and then somehow made you go seven first that's my bad was that eight no. for you was orlando eight orlando was uh seven i had let's let me go back to my list so I had Portland. I had Portland at nine. I had uh, San Antonio at, at eight, and I had um, Orlando at seven. And you know Utah was going to be my sixth, but you know I guess we went out of order. So I had the Spurs at seven because I, so I did go first. I had um, I had uh, Portland at nine, Sacramento at eight, San Antonio at seven. I have Utah at six. So that's why I figured okay. it'd be a good segue to. And so do you. All right. So we were on the same page. Yeah, I think. Okay. I think I don't hold them back for this, but if I thought they were going to keep Donovan Mitchell, I might slingshot them higher because now all of a sudden you have Donovan Mitchell and Jared Vanderbilt, of course, is interesting. And Walker Kessler, I watched a lot of film on. I, I don't see the, a lot of people think he's like a, could be a Gobert type defender. I just don't see the quickness, like him being as quick as Gobert there, but that's interesting. And then now you have all these picks. That's a lot of pliability when you're talking about going on the trade market or getting bites at the draft apple down the line. But because we know they're going to trade Donovan Mitchell at some point, the entire value of this rebuild is rooted in picks, not any player that's already on the roster. And I think that puts them at um, a position of weakness, weakness relative to others. And the only reason I don't actually have them behind San Antonio is because they're just going to have so many fucking picks that like, one of them is going to be like this wild blue chip spot in the lottery at some point, whether it's from Minnesota or look, if you wind up betting against the futures of Minnesota and the Knicks, there's a pretty good chance you're going to be in a damn good spot because those two franchises have historically missed the mark. I think Minnesota, I'm actually really high on moving forward, but the chances are you're going to get either not only your own bites at the draft apple, but some higher end ones in the lottery at some point from the Mitchell trade and or the Gobert trade, or you fold those over into a trade for a better player. If he becomes available, should you actually find like, what if they win? What if they're so bad next year, which if they trade Mitchell's not off the table, they win the web, the, they win the web and Yama uh, sweepstakes. Like that's, that's something that could accelerate their timeline quite a bit. So they have not, I think they did like three off seasons worth of rebuilding into one so far in the Mitchell trade. I, I don't even care what happens with the Mitchell trade from here because they got so much from the Gobert trade. I think they're set up to go in all different sorts of directions, but it is hard to sort of rate them higher for me when you can't look at a guy and say, well, he's going to be there and give them like a direction because at this point we know it's not going to be Mitchell as good as he is. I'm with you. 100% I'm with you. Uh, that, that's exactly why I had them at six. Like I, you just, there's just not... 
and we don't know what their nucleus is going to be yet. And it's it's hard to tell who's going to be the guy to build around. Uh, and you may be wondering, like, what, why, why, then why do I have Orlando there? It's just I, I just have more faith in Danny Ainge, and I love the Gobert trade that much. Like, da- Danny Ainge, for some reason, like, he became kind of a meme on basketball Twitter up until this trade, and people were kind of like, I don't I know what. Like, I would like to clarify anyone who thinks Danny Ainge wasn't making trades was missing the mark on this. It was all the reports that came out about all of the almost deals that he made, mm-hmm. which is why it was funny. It's not that he didn't make moves. It's there were invariably leaks about how close the Celtics almost In came Boston. to getting player right, X, yeah. Y, Z. Yeah. 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 I, 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 I get the jokes, but the jokes went too far. In that he became, they, they became he became the dunce, right? He became the guy who's out of touch, doesn't know what he's doing, isn't really, really freaking good at this job. Like, oh, well, what have the pay, what have the Celtics really done? Look at their draft history. They're, they're, they're it's a mixed he's bag. Really, you know? a sicko when it comes to this stuff because Utah hires him and he doesn't uh-huh. want to be involved in the day to day. All of a sudden, they decide to blow it up, and it's like he's just so hands on right now. He just must live for this opportunity to tear things down and build it up, which I understand from just a challenge, like personal challenge perspective, like building something from the ground up rather, rather than trying to enhance something that's already in place. It's going to be inherently more interesting. If you appreciate that, it's just, I find it hysterical that as soon as they tear it down, he's like all in after kind of only wanting to be half in. Well, I, I think, um, I just think he wanted to see, you know, is this this is it? Is is Mitchell and Gobert like an actual championship level, you know, core? I, I bet you and, if they would have given him the agency, he would have moved both of these guys as soon as he came on. I don't think he ever wanted to. You think so? I think it was it was kind of foretold in the way they handled last season. They made no upgrades at the trade deadline. They could have traded their 26 first and they weren't even linked to anyone, like seriously linked. It just showed a lack of faith in what the core ceiling was, or maybe a disinterest in attaching stuff to them. And oh, really quickly, what I really liked that they did this offseason, giving Will Hardy a five-year deal, and I'll assume there's like a club option on the final year, even if the, the other two, the final two, I like that you give out that long-term contract because it gives you runway to actually rebuild. Like you're not tethering this coach to, if we're not winning in two years, like he really screwed up and we have to get rid of him. And so I think that's an important, it shows to me at least that everyone's on the same page. And this is something that, is going to happen gradually and over the the long haul, which is something else you could appreciate about their rebuild. And conversely, you don't have that in San Antonio because we know Pop seems reinvigorated by coaching all these youngsters, just you know, watching and listening to him last season. But we know like he's not going to be around that much longer. And even if you think Quinn Snyder is going to be the guy who replaces him, like you just don't know how that situation is going to pan out either. Yeah, you also want kind of wonder if the pop thing is kind of like a Chris Paul situation, and that everybody's been saying he's gonna he's gonna be washed soon. Just wait for it. Just wait for it. And it's like 2022, and he's still like really good. Washed. It's just like no, no, no. no, 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 I'm not. I'm not talking about this. I'm talking about like we're in Chris Paul. Like we were talking about in 2013. Like he's gonna fall off someday. He's gonna fall off. And it's like we're nine years later, and he's still one of the best point guards in the NBA. And it's like. I could see the same thing with Pop. It's like, he's going to retire someday. He's going to retire someday. And it's like, oh, it's 2026. And he's like a championship contender again. Like the Spurs are, you know, contenders again. He's a coach. Like I, I would, that I would not amazing. surprise me. Yeah. That would be amazing. Yeah. I, I just, I, 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 nothing would surprise me there with Pop. Um, so, so five, we're up to number five, right? I didn't get to, I didn't get to put a, a bow on the Utah thing, man. Hold on. Oh, like, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. It's, it's just, the, so the go the Gobert trade was fantastic, and he still has this massive bullet in the chamber, right? Like what what Donovan Mitchell get receives on the open market is the big question remaining after Kevin Durant, right? Like after Kevin Durant, he's the biggest domino left, and 
I just think if you're a team that's that's negotiating with Danny Ainge right now, you cannot let you cannot let Rudy Gobert dictate the market on, on like no. We're not doing that. You got you got to be straight up front with that guy. You're like, no. Same thing if you're negotiating with the Nets and and they're trying to use the Gobert trade as like, oh, this sets the market. No, it didn't set the market. Like like you're not gonna you're not gonna bully me like that. You you can't let this one trade ruin the value of star players. So they still have a bullet left in the chamber, and I think they're probably gonna get a, a Gobert esque package, right? Like probably something similar. Maybe not as much as they got for Gobert. Because uh, I don't think a team is going to be as desperate to trade for Mitchell in the same way they were as desperate to trade for Gobert. Um, so I think I think it's going to be really interesting to see when they when they really strip everything down, right? When when Mitchell is gone, how bad they truly are next year. And if they're I, if they're as bad as you and I expect them to be, because I think after they trade Mitchell, they're going to be really bad. I mean, you're talking about they're the Wimbenyama slash uh, Scoot Henderson draft is going to be like six teams vying for that number for one of those two picks. So it's going to be really fun to see how bad they bottom out. And I think because they're, because we just have no idea how far they could go with the asset chest. That's why I have them decide. That's why I have them over Paulo Banquero and Jalen Suggs, who by the way, I think Banquero is perfect for Jalen Suggs. And I think like, yeah. I, it's because he's going to allow him to be the kind of player I always envisioned him as. I don't think he can be like the number one A guy, but he can be like your two, your off ball slash can create as a secondary uh, point guard. And I think that's perfect for him. While, while, while Ben Caro is the guy, the straw that serves the drink. So that's, that's why the discrepancy lies there. Um, who, where are we on the list? Number five? I'm, at, I'm up to my number five, which okay. I, have the, I have the Pacers here. Uh, I love Tyrese Halliburton. I think he has a, you know, his highest end range outcome is a lot better than people think. I love Benedict Matherin. Uh, I'm like, Chris Duarte is fine. Uh, that's kind of how I feel about the rest of their roster. What's very encouraging. I mean, Jalen Smith had a great close to last year. They can still trade miles Turner. Who's been in trade rumors since like, I think he entered the league at this point, but, um, it, what I think is encouraging, aside from having Halliburton in place with Benedict Matherin, and even look, I know some people are higher on Chris Duarte than I am. That's fine. I love O'Shea Brissett as well. Uh, it does seem like the Pacers are actually rebuilding because they didn't, I know they gave out the eight and offer sheet, but that by the end of that, it was clearly a favor to the agent, Bill Duffy. Like it wasn't, you do something and there's like a, you know, a, what a 2% chance that the Suns don't match that or whatever it is. They didn't do anything to try and accelerate their position, which historically the Pacers have tried to avoid full tilt rebuilds at all costs. And the fact that they're not, I think that's super encouraging. It gives Halliburton time to grow. It should ensure that Rick Carlisle is giving Benedict Matherin a, a crap ton of opportunity this year. And it also implies and suggests that your draft pick is going to be better next year too. And so if you're, if we're just counting on one more year of them getting a high lottery pick to add to Matherin Halliburton, that's really uh, intriguing. And what they also seem prepared to do just based off the, the third party rumor mill is they will be a team that takes on bad money this year. If they, they could be a Westbrook team if the Lakers attach whatever first to it. And so that's also encouraging because it shows that you're willing to try and acquire some more first-round picks. Uh, I like the direction they're headed in. I do think, though, there's not a lot of whole proven commodities or upside there. Like, we're talking about star upside. Aside from Tyrese Halliburton, if you feel that Benedict Matherin is going to be a superstar, uh, you know, he did the off the dribble shooting was uh, he's a lot more of that than I expected uh, when I was first looking into him coming out of school. Uh, but you're also like, that's sort of it. Like you still need to fill out the rest of this rebuild. And it's like, do you think Isaiah Jackson or Gogo Batadze is that guy or Jalen Smith? No, 
Um, so they're still in the infancy, but for them to actually be in the middle of the pack, despite being in the infancy of their rebuild, is actually a pretty good spot to be in. Yeah, so I have the Kings here. I, the Pacers are going to be next, so it's not like we disagree too much. We disagree about the Kings a lot, so the, let me explain why. So this was De'Aaron Fox since the Halliburton trade. Like 28 points per game, 6 assists per game, 4 rebounds per game, like 70% true shooting. Like, he is ridiculous. I think people have forgotten how good this guy is. Last year, in the, the, the first half of last year, I think was kind of, you know, flukish, right? I, I don't mm-hmm. think that's going to happen again. I think he's going to be come into this season and look like one of the best young guards in the NBA again. Like, reestablish himself in, in this conversation. When we talk about the best players under 25, I think he's going to be in that conversation again next year. And I think, you know, I, I really believe he can be one of the best guards in the NBA. He is so quick. He can do. There's really nothing he can't do, like off the dribble. Like he can shoot, he can dribble, he can pass. Like there's nothing. Again, there's nothing he can't do. Uh, he's not like he's not like an amazing shooter, but he's good enough to where I can trust him taking off the dribble threes, especially off of screens. Um, and I think you know he can be a, a really a decent facilitator. You know, I think playing next to Halliburton stunted his development a little bit. Like in that they were both guys who needed the basketball in their hands, and I think. It, Fox is someone who, who suffers more when he doesn't have the ball than Halliburton. And that's why I think Halliburton's better. Right? Halliburton can do more off the ball. Um, and I think that's him just getting a, a full year at the full at the helm, you know, with the Kings. I Again, I love Keegan Murray. I love, you know, what they've surrounded him with. Like, they have a, a good, like, they have a good mixture of guys there. Like, I mean, when you look at their core, Sabonis, Fox, Keegan Murray, like, that's a really good core. Like and I think Murray showed that you know this guy could be like your third best player on a championship team. Like, is that crazy? Is that crazy? Keegan Murray showed yeah. that already. Yeah, I think can we give him be. a regular season game first before we go that far. Okay, well, I mean, we're talking about Paulo Boncaro in such a highlight where he could be the 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 best player on a championship team or second best player. I mean, Keegan Murray was like what the fourth overall pick. Like, it's is is that is that crazy to say that he can be the third best player? I mean, it's I don't think I'm reaching. I don't think I don't think I'm saying anything crazy. I think Here, he he is so good on both ends of the floor, and he was really underrated as a shooter coming out of it. Like we really focused a lot on Jabari Smith Jr. as a shooter coming coming into the draft. Right? We ignored for the most part how good Murray was because I guess because he didn't start off as a prospect that could shoot this well, but he can shoot this well, and he's just so flexible and malleable in how you use him as a player. Sabonis is very good. I I understand what you know. You maybe defensively in the in the modern NBA, you, maybe you don't want him starting at center, but I think he was capable. You know, I think he's a capable set. Like he can get to league average, and I think a league average defensive center next to Keegan Murray, next to um, I'm sorry, I'm missing the name is escaping me. Darren Fox, Harrison Barnes, Davion Mitchell. Harrison Barnes, I'm sorry, Harrison Barnes and Davion Mitchell. The I was I was thinking of Harrison Barnes though, next to Harrison Barnes, and I think Davion Mitchell can obviously defend. Um, like that's that's good enough. Like that's good enough defensively. You have like what two liabilities in there, maybe? Like that's when you were talking about building a team out. I mean, they make sense to me. So the the things I'll take issue with are I think if I'm still harping on the Halliburton trade in the sense that if it was because you're worried about taking the ball out of De'Aaron Fox's hands, uh, that's like Sabonis doesn't make that any easier. He's a player that's better off with the ball in his hands too. And there's more natural, organic two men game stuff you can run with them. I understand that, and the fit looked pretty interesting. 
they're both liabilities on defense right now, flat out. Turner right, covered up with so much that Sabonis did. Um, and that's an issue. So my question here is I I everything you said about Keegan Murray, Harrison Barnes, I like that they've at least decided like we're not gonna from unless they think Mike Brown is gonna work magic, I would bet on this team being a bottom ten defensive team. I don't think so. Yeah, I see that, that, that see, this is where we disagree. I think they're gonna be a playoff team next year. Or okay, playing well, so at least competing for the plane because I think they're going to get the average defense. So I'll, I'll be shocked if they do that. But let's say they do. What is the path to them getting better than this now? De'Aaron Fox getting better. That's right. Like like like, de, like De'Aaron Fox playing. Like if he puts those stats up for a full season, right? Which, I think we've like, seen him do it for the full season. Like, or we've seen like a lot of this half three quarter season from de, stuff from De'Aaron Fox. And I'm I love De'Aaron Fox. I think he's way better than people. They they critique him because he he struggles earlier in the season and he had like it was like more than half the year he was like tearing it up last year and it was the same thing right. before the other season I think he has the potential to get better defensively this might be a a Devin Booker situation where you put better players around him and you start competing and Devin Booker starts defending better and maybe that happens with the Aaron Fox I just don't think they've really hamstrung themselves to this is it to me they either need. Like Sabonis isn't going to get a lot better. I know he's still on the younger side, but they've tethered themselves to uh, Fox has to make another leap, which is like, this is the hardest leap to make. You're going from fringe all-star to what? All NBA player. Do I think right. he's capable of it? Sure. But there's that. And then there's Keegan Murray being better than expected because I think you can say, fine, if he, I, the concept is we want him to be the third best player on a title team. Great. If he turns into that player, you're still not a title team because I don't know that you have right now. You don't have the player who's going to be the best player on a title. Like, do you think Fox is going to be the best player on a title team? And you're just there's too many what ifs here when it comes to the actual players. Where it's okay. Well, what if Fox gets better defensively and gets uh, makes the leap to All NBA? What if Sabonis gets better defensively as the primary big and backline defender? Uh, what if? Keegan Murray or Harrison Barnes can handle defending wings so that they can play together because both of them sort of give me the feel of they're more fours than wings. Uh, and then what, what is Keegan Murray overall? And the what ifs are fine, but now you've taken it to the point where you traded a pick that if we're being honest, probably isn't going to convey for the, at least the next two years, which then really handcuffs you in trade talks for the next two years. Um, I just don't see their pathway to making the type of leap that they need to, this feels like a situation so combustible that they're more likely to eventually tear it down within the next two years than to actually take a step forward to me. Well, I mean, we haven't even seen them take that for, that first step forward, right? Which which is why I think you have kind of a, a one or two year buffer for them to just be a fun playoff team. Like, why, why can't they be a fun playoff team for like a year or two before they have to start making these tough decisions? Like, and and I I, I know I realize you said that they don't have someone that could be the number one, right? You're not sold that they have that guy on the roster. The Pacers don't have that guy either, right? I have them in the same group. Like, I have the Pacers higher because I like Halliburton more. And I like Turner a little bit more than Sabonis, but like, the, I I they're kind of in the same kind of play like team tier. Like, I think. Better talent, but the Pacers have more avenues to get better talent than the Kings right now at this point. Like the Kings feel, or if you're thinking they're going to be a playoff team, like their draft, maybe if they send out their first round pick this year, if they're that good, it changes everything that they can do in trade talks. I just don't think they're going to be that good, but you're also not sitting on this pot of gold when it comes to your draft pick, even if you trade it after the fact, probably because you're actively chasing the 10 seed. And I just don't, they are like the Charlotte Hornets of the East, the West right now. Uh, or you could call the Hornets are rapidly turning into the Kings of the East, however you want to frame it. I don't respect that, that they are actively trying to stay in the middle. I 
I think that's unfair to fans. And I know some fans people that, that haven't seen a playoff team in like 14 the years. Play-in is not the playoffs. No, I said playoff. I said, oh, I, you, I, you think they're going to be top six in the West? Where are Golden State, Phoenix, the Clippers, the Nuggets, the Timberwolves, the Pelicans, the Blazers are going to be in there? Like, no, I, I mean, I don't think they're going to be top six, but I think they, I think they can be top eight. I'm not, I'm not dismissing that that's for still, next year. That's still playing territory, though. Is my point. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I guess. I guess I see them going into the play-in and comfortably winning the play-in, whereas you, maybe you see them going into the need to bookmark this disagreement and revisit it once once the playoffs roll around. Well, hey, I'm open to it. I'm I'm open to being wrong about the Kings. Like I, oh, I, I, I could I, be wrong too because we're both veering. I think to two extremes. Right. I mean, I I just think like this idea of them tearing it down before they even like see the playoffs. Like I I want to see them make like teams that tear it down at least got a taste of the playoffs, right? Like and like they they haven't even gotten a taste yet. They haven't even gotten to actually contend for the opportunity to make the playoffs. And I think that could happen next year. Like I really think like their team as a, as a structure makes sense to me. They have two defensive liabilities and they're so far away from each other, right? On the positional spectrum, right? Like you can cover for them easily, and that every player in between there is a good is a positive defender, right? And like I have no problem. Was like Kevin Herter, had- Malik Monk, like those guys who are like who is starting? You're assuming it's Davion Mitchell and Fox in the backcourt with Murray Barnes and Sabonis. Yeah, kind of has to be. I think. I don't I think, think you that's- can. I would be shocked if they start Davion Mitchell just because that's a lot of, uh, like you're really shrinking the floor there with him and Sabonis, and then even even Fox. He plays bigger than his size, though. I I I I, I thought that was a, an unfair like, criticism of him coming out of the draft. Like people really marked him for that, and because of that, he got drafted too low, right? Well, I, and, like, I meant shrinking the floor in the sense like space. Yeah, yeah, right. Oh, shrink. Oh, in terms of spacing. Um, yeah, I guess I am banking a little bit on player development. That's I think that's fine. Mm-hmm. Like I think I think uh, De'Aaron Fox can become a. I mean, he's I think he's a good shooter now, like passable as a catch and shoot guy. I think he can get to a good, you know, become a good to great catch and shoot guy. And I think Davion Mitchell can become passable, right? I think that's, I don't think that's too crazy to ask player, player development wise. Otherwise, like, what's he going to do in the NBA? If, if he can't shoot threes, like off of catch and shoot, he's not going to make the NBA. So I think he kind of knows that he has to become that guy. So I think there is an urgency to work on that player development. And I'm, I'm, and because that urgency exists, I'm banking on it. I'm banking on it working out. Um, and I have no problem with like betting on this team. I really don't. Cause again, intellectually they make sense to me. Like as they have three good defenders in the starting lineup, they have two liabilities. And I think one of them is not as much of a liability as, um, you know, especially when you surround them with good defenders. Like, I think, I think they're fine. Like, I, I could think they're, when you turn, when you talk about the other, the other teams on this list, like the best player there is De'Aaron Fox, right? He's actualized his potential more than a lot of these players here. Right, like I mean, he's, that is he's, fair to say, yeah. Right, like he he's probably one of the best players on this list of teams already, and I think that that's kind of why I have them. Where is this fourth or fifth on the list? You have them at five, I think. I have four yeah. teams left. Yeah, I have them fifth. Like fifth is what I'm the. I think they're the fifth best rebuilding team on, on the list. That's not a hot take. No, it's not, I guess it's not a hot take, but to me it is because I think that they're just not, they don't <laughs> think they're rebuilding. And I think that's a problem for this exercise is my point. The Spurs and the Jazz and everyone else, maybe except for the Blazers, know they're rebuilding. Uh, okay. And the Kings and Blazers do not know that. Okay. I, I know, I know you, you have a hard out, so we're going to try to, we're going to try to rush through this. Um, so I have the, I, I think similarly to you on the Pacers, I have them fourth, right? Like I, you have them fifth, I had them fourth. It's like, I think they're, 
I think they're really good. I, I, I think Tyrese Halliburton, especially as a facilitator, have, getting the ball in his hands and having him be the lead guy is going to be so fun to watch for a full season. Like I, this is going to be like his come out year, and that he's he gets to post a full season of like ten assists per game, right? I think that's realistically in his future. Like he can be that guy, and he's such a great shooter. Obviously, Miles Turner is like one of the best defenders in basketball that nobody knows about. Like nobody talks about him enough as one of the best players in basketball. You know that a lot of the top national guys know that, but we don't talk about him as like a perennial defensive player of the year guy. And he is that kind of defender. And when you talk about having that nucleus, that kind of like that kind of facilitator running your offense and that kind of defensive player running your defense, like you have two very solid building blocks there and you're still terrible. Uh, and so you can get, you can get top draft picks. <laughs> I think for fourth was this is where it starts to get really tough actually, and I'm I'm like between waffling between Orlando and Detroit. Um, I think I'm going with Detroit, who has the best player, inarguably of the four teams that we're about to talk about in Cade Cunningham. I just don't know enough about the rest of their roster. Sadiq Bay is good. Uh, Jaden Ivey should be a good fit, but like we need to see how that plays out. I think Jalen Duran is fine. But where other teams have accumulated these, when you look at Houston and OKC, even Orlando having the, they have a Nuggets pick out into the distance, I think in 25, they have uh, the Bulls pick in 23. Like the Pistons haven't picked up all these extra assets. They've been creative enough, but I still like, to me, they haven't surrounded Cade Cunningham with enough shooting just yet. But this is someone who I expect, like Cade Cunningham is best player in the NBA material. And I don't feel that way. A uh, Palo Bancaro, maybe uh, Jabari Smith Jr. or Jalen Green, like maybe, but like I'm very sure that Cade Cunningham is best player in the NBA material. So it's hard for me to put them this low, but and I don't want to say they don't have a lot else going on aside from him because they do. They have good players, but I think I need to see like, okay, what does Jaden Ivey look like, or does Killian Hayes uh, start this season how he finished last season, which was very strong and had like a nice little in between game and was getting the basket more. So. Uh, it just feels weird to say that about the Pistons when they have, and they have a ton of financial flexibility moving forward. Um, I think when we're at this level with the final four teams, it's going to be a matter of splitting hairs for me anyway. And that's why I just have Detroit at four. It's a matter of preference thing. Right. I, I think, I think uh, the trend seems to be, I, I, I I'm valuing practicality or like actual, like what you've actualized your potential. So I'm going to rank you higher and you're like projecting more. Right. Especially with assets. I, it seems to be the trend, right? Like, and right. I think, uh, you know, this is kind of my asset, you know, got my asset pick right here. I have OKC here on the list. I think OKC is, you know, I, I love Chet Holmgren. I love, 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 love Chet Holmgren. Like he was my number one player in the draft. I thought he was excellent, um, like especially defensively in at the summer league level. Uh, what did not surprise me, what he could do with the ba the ball in his hands. I think a lot of people were surprised that he had that kind of capability. I'm like, man, you got to watch his high school tape. The guy was a really good creator. He just, you know, was playing in a system where he didn't have to be that guy. He was kind of a play finisher. And I think he can be, I, it would not surprise me if he's like a second best player on a championship team level kind of guy. I don't see the best player on a championship team here, though. You know, I, I like Shea a lot. I like Shea. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say that I don't see him uh, on this roster long term, but I would bet against it. You know, I think I would probably say that, you know, it would more likely that, you know, Giddy, um, Holmgren, like these other guys stick around versus Shea. Oh, it's not. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I just, I just, I just think I, see a trade there coming for him, and I think they'll get, they'll get decent assets for him because that's what Sam Presti does. The Sam Presti gets good trade, gets good assets, and I think they have a lot of flexibility to move up. Again, this is that, this is that part of the list where it's like, if I'm not ranking you at number one, this is not an insult. You're, you're very solidly positioned. Like we, I think you, I think it's we have we've done we've like diverged in a lot of spots, but we have the same four teams in the top four. So I think that shows that it's sort of a matter of splitting hairs. Right. Yeah. It's again, like, I don't think if I'm putting you here as opposed to number one, like there's like probably one factor that prevented you from being number one. Right. And like for the, the, the thunder here, it's like, I just don't see the number one guy there. Sure. There's a lot of avenues to gain that number one guy and probably more avenues for a lot of these other, other teams, but a lot of these other teams, I can see the number one guy that's possibly there. Right. Like I could see Jalen Green becoming that number one guy. I could see Cade Cunningham becoming that number one guy. I can't see anyone on the Thunder becoming that number one guy. Right. And that's that, kind of why I sorry. That I was gonna say that's something we definitely disagree on, but we'll get to that when I actually have the Thunder, which I do not, obviously, right now. Okay. Yeah, I I, I like Chet a lot. I, like again, like I think he's probably my favorite player on this team because of how malleable he is a basketball player. And like, I think no matter what kind of team construct you build, you'll be able to, to comfortably fit him because he can adjust offensively and defensively to what you want to do because he's that smart um, and he's that capable skill wise. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of where I have him on the list. Again, they have a lot of assets. They have a, they have a lot of room to improve. But until they actually execute some of these trades and move some of these assets, I'm not a Usman Jane guy, by the way. Uh, I, I hated him. I hated this. I hated that trade. Uh, it's a, I, they so, have Chip so, England now, with yeah. with him working on Usman Jang shooting. I don't know. I feel like that could be a sneaky but, win. But who's going to work on his basketball? Is, is kind of my, my question. Like, oh come he, on, that guy's he, like a he, ball mover and like can really disrupt on defense. Uh, I I hate. It. Like I was watching him. Like what is he good at? Like I was like when I was watching him in preparation for the draft. I'm like why why are people so much higher on him than I am? Like I I don't understand it. Uh, the, the, what what I came to is like he is kind of rangy skill wise he is really long and athletic and like okay so like you can see him being like a 610 ball handler type right and like you're you can see putting him with like a good player development coach and, and that being the difference to him actually being like a good basketball player where it's like i see him as more like bruno caboclo he's very boomer bust right like and like here's the thing guys like Giannis or bruno caboclo Giannis was that kind of guy right he was boomer bust as well and he actualized that potential. So, like, I guess I'm betting on the the bust part of this. I, I could see him being a bust. I just, if he's a bust, I don't think it changes their trajectory much, is the thing. Well, no, no. So I, like, I, just wanted to, I just wanted to mention that while I was talking about them. Yeah, uh, I, have, I have him four, again. like I, I have the Magic at three, and I feel, like, not confident about this. I am a big believer in Bancaro. I thought, from when I the moment I did my draft pet prep, which was after March Madness ended, so it wasn't like I was early on this, I thought he was by, but like very clearly, I don't want to say by far, like should have been the number one pick. The offensive skill package, like this is someone who can be lead the offense of a championship team. And I'm not, he might be the best passer on the Magic from day one. He might not be, Probably because is. you have, yeah. he might be, Markel. but he, he could be. And long term, yeah. um, they also, they have a nice base. We both still believe in Jalen Suggs. Uh, I do think that's a big part of this is you, if you want their future really hit, uh, you need Jalen Suggs to be, to be great. Otherwise, they might get to a point which is why I'm high on them. You have Franz Wagner. You have Wendell Carter Jr. who is really good. Mo Bamba. Got Bamba. 
played, right. became a basketball player last year, and they played a lot of dual big stuff with him and Wendell Carter Jr. They have Jonathan Isaac coming back, who still says he's not fully healthy in his last interview. Uh, yeah. I don't know what you trust him for aside from defense, but they have a lot of good, even like Chumo Kiki, I'm still intrigued. If he hits more of his threes, I'm like all in on Chumo Kiki all of a sudden. I want to still believe in RJ Hampton, but my belief is waning. Cole Anthony's a fine like microwave scorer off the bench. It's just they feel like they do have some other assets, and I'm not saying they've played. They haven't played their best hand already because they could go after a trade package if they wanted to, but it's like you need Bancaro to very much be the guy so that you could shoot up this list, and just because he hasn't played. You know, Jalen Green has played regular season basketball already. Paolo Bancaro is not, and so it's just fair to be like, I'm trusting Jalen Green's, even though I think Paolo Bancaro is going to be the better player. I have to trust what I've seen from Jalen Green, especially post-All-Star break or whatever it was, over not seeing anything from Pablo Bancaro. But that dude's shot-making and passing packages all over the place, and I think he'll wind up being a better defender than people think. Um, I think that there'll be some real switch to him. And so they have some depth already. They have some immediate contributors already. And this is a team that their best players right now or their most intriguing players in Suggs, Bancaro, Wagner, even Wendell Carter Jr. is super young. They're all going to continue to improve. And so this team is exciting and i think what people and I, i'll say the same about houston because they're gonna have a, sh uh, a a boatload of cap space soon houston and orlando are like two of the more underrated free agency destinations for if they're good and they have money in a market with good players there will be players that look at them it's kind of like i wouldn't say they're as under the radar as phoenix was in certain summers but you forget when these teams haven't been good for a minute or had cap space for a minute in, in houston's case um that players want to play there and so like being able to cake in that which you can't do with detroit you can't do with okc that matters can't do it with portland for sure you could yeah. probably do it with portland more than you could do it with okc or detroit though yeah i guess yeah if you it's and easier also, to move those contracts to, like there seem like there are people in the nba and around the nba including myself that might die for damian lillard so like that dude's leadership is off the charts people want to play with him they they mm -hmm. convinced like Mello to want to go there when there were still like other teams that sort of wanted Mello. Obviously, they didn't convince Prime Mello to go there when they wanted him. But uh, I think Portland would be an underrated destination too. But no, you're right. They're not like if they have cap space and it's between Portland and like New York or LA or Golden State or with Chicago or whatever. Like no, Portland's probably not winning that bad. Yeah, uh, I, I'm gonna do I'm gonna dodge the Damian Lillard leadership conversation. Like I'm just gonna uh, you, you like, that's one of my landmines. I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna step on it. Uh, so. We I have two teams left here, and I have basically Detroit and Houston. Doesn't matter yep. which order. Oh, so you had? Do you already went into? What about? Yeah, uh, I went into Orlando right before Utah. Remember? Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I, I think I have. Uh, I I would probably say I would have Houston second and Detroit first. Um, I don't have a problem with uh, Orlando being higher on the list. I, I I just that's just me being really high on Utah mainly. Uh, but yeah, I I, I really like what Houston's doing. Like, I think roster wise, it makes sense. Big Shangoon guy. I think he's going to be, I think he becomes a fixture in the national conversation next year. I'll say that. Like he's going to, wow. he's going to be good. Yeah. I think he's going to get a starting spot. He's, he's going to get the starting spot next year. I think he's going to put up ridiculous numbers. Like I'm talking like 18, 10 and like three or like four. Like I, I, I could see him putting up monster numbers and having like 20, 10 and five nights. Like I, I'm a huge Shangoon guy. Like I think I think he's like one of the best passers um uh in the league as a center. Like easy, probably uh like number two. I mean, I I, I other than Jokic, I can't think of a center off the top of my head that passes better than him. Uh he is so good in the post. Like his footwork is like 
ridiculous. Like he he can legitimately body down low. He's six nine. That's going to be a tr- that's going to be an issue defensively. Um, but Jabari Smith Jr. was a great pick in that respect, and that you can hide a lot of his weaknesses now. Uh, I think you know, my, I I'm not a big KPJ guy, uh, but I think he. Nor I think am he, I. And Rockets fans get mad at me, especially on YouTube, every single time it comes up. Yeah, and like that. That's not like okay. I'm a KPG. I'm a KPJ guy in that I can see him being a good NBA player, right? Like that's in that respect, I am. But I in that I don't see him a start as a starting point guard. I think he can be like a six man type, you know, one of your one of your four best guards, and that's good enough to be in the playoffs. That's a good that's a good enough player to be in the playoff rotation. I can see him playing in important playoff games in the future. You know, I can see him having a long career. You know, uh, I think he's very shifty, very skilled, can be like an easy if he was a six man be an easy six man of the year guy i'm not dismissing the possibility that he can be a starter i just haven't seen enough yet for me to actually envision him as that kind of guy um, he never even took like the when they gave him the keys and at first like was that two years or a year and whatever change ago at this point like it looked like he made some progress as sort of a floor general type but he never just it never maintained and like where anthony simons last year i thought made strides is like making the simple reads setting up his teammates drawing the attention of defenses KPJ's decision making just feels too all over the place to be like that's someone who can actually run the offense, not just score, but someone who can actually run the offense consistently. Yeah, I think I think he's um, like again, I get I can see him being good. I just I just don't I can't see him being uh, a guy that's gonna be your starter, being your floor general. Uh, Jalen Green after the All Star break played play like an All Star point blank. He was awesome. Like he was scoring at like a ridiculous clip in the paint and from mid range. So I think the mid-range is going to level out a little bit. He'll be kind of like an average mid-range guy, like a 35% from mid-range, which is actually decent. You know, it's not great, but I think he'll be like that kind of guy. And I think he'll be a very good shooter, especially because he moves so well off the basket, off the ball. Like he, that's probably one of his under talked about talents is like, he's constantly moving when he doesn't have the ball. And that's going to serve him so well, especially playing against Alperin Sheng- playing next to Alperin Shengun. Like Shengun is going to constantly find him for dunks, layups, open threes uh, when he doesn't have the ball in his hands. And with the ball in his hands, incredibly shifty, gets by guys at will. Like last year, when he was struggling, he was still getting by, by guys without screens. Like that first step is so fast. Uh, he, he's getting to pass defenders like already on day one. And, you know, when, once he starts incorporating more pick and roll, once he starts, you know, like playing smarter, I would say, and being more comfortable in that position as kind of like a lead guy, I think it's going to be look even better. Um, you know, can he be the best player on a championship team? Man, he really needs to get better as a passer for me to actually like say he can for sure. Uh, he needs to get better as a defender, right? That's a, a big weakness of his. I think long term, I could see him becoming average. Uh, but if, if he becomes average, KPJ has to be like a plus guy. To play him next to next to Green, right? And I, that's again another struggle with with KPJ. I just, I if if KPJ was that starter, like legitimate, bona fide, can see him as a starter. That's a that's a plus defender. That's a good. That's a like a seven assist per game playmaker. Um, you know, I they be might be number one on my list, right? I just, you know, I I have I have questions about his defense. I have questions about his efficiency. I have a questions. I have questions about his turnovers, right? Um, and Jabari Smith Jr. Like he kind of brings it all together floor spacing wise, but I just, I, I never saw that top end, like can be the best player on a championship team. When people, when, when I was, you know, watching him, I was like, nah, I, just don't, I think he's going to be kind of a complimentary kind of star, like at best, second best player on a championship team, probably third 
right? Shangoon is really why I have them this high on this list, right? Shangoon and Green, like they just make sense together, right? Especially if you surround them with complementary defensive players, that's a core that makes sense. Um, and I, that, as far as Detroit, again, I'm I'm with you. I'm a big Cade guy. I'm a li- I was a little worried about the shooting and never regular, it never normalized. You know, it never got he never got back to like being like a plus. Uh, three-point shooter which he was in college he was like a 40 percent three-point shooter in college but he was like a 90 percent free throw guy right this year i think it was like 85 to 90 yeah, percent. the level of difficulty on his shot shots was absurd and so i think if those get easier or just as he gets older he'll be fine so i hope that normalizes right like so uh i again if uh that's why i think he's uh, I, I think he's the best guy uh of these two teams i think he could be the best player there um ivy Love Ivy. Like I, I, I flirted with the idea of putting him third on my on my big board before the draft ahead of Jabari Smith Jr. I really like Ivy, um, especially as just a downhill guy that can be your secondary creator. And with Cade there, he doesn't have to be the primary guy anymore, which is why I think this is a great fit. Uh, and yeah, that's kind of why I have this. Why I kind of have it one, two, Detroit and Houston. So I have Houston too, and I don't really have anything to add to what you said. You're definitely higher on Shangoon than I am. I think the defense is going to be an issue. And I also, I'm higher on Jabari Smith Jr. Like I think he has a, you know, his best case outcome is better than Shangoon's and his defense in summer league. Some of the plays he made really sold me there, uh, but they're just well set up. And the actual stuff I had to add to what you said, like Usman Garuba is still there. The Eason pick I really liked the Ty Ty Washington. Is some, yeah. Uh, Washington like that he's small but he plays on defense bigger than he actually is and yes I'm still a believer in Garuba even though I didn't really play him last last year that's someone who could be a defensive monster and if Jalen Green makes a leap as a passer like it's very easy with Shane Goon already there to just go sort of without a point guard and that might make it easier to formulate the defense because you can just prioritize defense next to Jalen Green rather than facilitation and they have all those Nets picks coming in plus cap space so there's a way for them to get better aside from internal growth and then look they're probably by design going to have another high draft pick themselves next year, whether it's because they exercise their swap with Brooklyn or use their own pick, depending on whatever happens with the nets. So they're set up really well. And I have OKC one because there are a lot of encouraging signs. I think we've seen from them. I'm, I'm a big believer that Shea Gilders Alexander can be best, or if he's not the best player on the championship team, he's as good as you can be without being the best <laughs> player on a championship team. Okay. His defense is slipped since he's been in OKC, but you have to look at the spacing he's working with on offense and the degrees to which he's had to create. Uh, very few players in the league have taken more unassisted field goals the past two years. I think it's like Trey Young and Luka, and that's it, if I'm not mistaken. So like his role is going to get easier now that Chet Holmgren is there, another safety valve. I like that they kept Lou Dort, who, by the way, is only going to be 26 when that deal is up. I'm not a Josh Giddy guy, although he looked like he was a, you know, a juggernaut in summer league. As a passer, a rebounder, size on defense, fine. But, like, he needs to bring up, you know, his floater. He showed some of that last year. But, like, he needs to prove to me that he can hit sort of this set jumper um, from three, which we just have not seen yet from him. And so I'm waiting on that. And then um, they have still all these picks. And they've shown now that because there's this roster spot crunch, they're prepared to, to use them. Uh, they already gave up three conditional firsts for Usman Jang, who I like. I don't think he's going to be a star, but as sort of this connective tissue on offense, if he starts hitting set jumpers and then someone who disrupts on defense, I like what they have going there. I love the home grim pick as well. And it does seem like based off everything we've heard from them, from, from Shay on how much he's talked with the organization behind the scenes, it does feel like uh, 
that they're committed to Shea and they extended him. And so if you believe they're going to move Shea Gilders Alexander, then yeah, you should absolutely lower them on this list. But if you're someone like me who thinks that they're going to give this like a more aggressive shake moving forward, um, there's just so much that they can do flexibility wise and, and talent wise. You know, I wonder how much I'd like, I'd like their, you know, team construct more if they had taken Kaminga more like, or like if they had just kept Shangun instead of, you know, eventually, you know, trading Shangun for for what became Usman Jang. Uh like like that's kind of a iffy decision. Like long term they're betting on Jang's, you know, versatility as a defender, as a passer, as a ball handler. I get it. But if he doesn't work out and Shangun becomes like what I think he can become, that's a really scary bet. It's a really scary bet because I, I really did cost you the asset. Like you traded the assets. You can't you can't do anything to recover unless you can get something for for Jang at that point. Uh but there's yeah, also the, the catch 22 of that is if you have Shangun and you're playing him, are you too good to get the number two pick? And then you don't get Chet Holmgren, who I think is going to be exponentially better than, than Shangun. Exponentially. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know what? I, I don't think that's a crazy statement. Okay. Uh, so yeah, I, yeah. Okay. I, I see what you're saying, but I'm not sure if Shangun would have made them that good. You know, no, I mean, Shang-Gun... they probably would have shut him down too, knowing the thunder. Yeah. So Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I would probably say like that's that's the the one mistake. Like I guess it's two mistakes because they did compound it by trading for Jang, who I do not like. Seems like you're higher on him than I am, but like it's really a case of like what you think of Giddy. If you think Shea is going to be there long term, I don't think Shea is going to be there long term. What you thing, said about yeah, yeah, I said that was the I wrapped it up with like Shea. If you think they're going to move Shea, then yes, I would lower them too. I just don't think. You know, I think it's more likely he's in OKC two years from now than he's than he's not. And like, I don't, I don't, I'm not really a big believer in Giddy. Like I said, he needs to hit a set jump shot for me to believe in him, especially if you want to sort of maximize the dynamic you have with Shea Gilders Alexander. But they're they might be they're already kind of like sneaky okay on defense last year, and they're sort of built like with Dort and Holmgren. And if Shea picks up, having Giddy, Jalen Williams, by the way, look fantastic in summer league for stretches having Usman Jang, like they've taken, they've Kenrich Williams too. Like these are guys like they've have some actual good players already on the roster and, and a ton of upside swings as well. I like that balance. And I think what, you know, you probably didn't factor this in as much, but while you don't like Jang, the fact that they made a consolidation trade in part because they just have no roster spots. Like they're getting to a point where like these guys are under contract. You haven't looked at them very long and now you don't have roster spots for all these first rounders, but I like that they finally did. Hey, we like Jang. That's our guy. So we're going to consolidate these three conditional picks into one. And so that shows to me that there's at least a mindset of, yeah, maybe next year they're still sort of rebuilding, but maybe they don't shut anybody down. I just think they're operating on more of a concrete and not accelerated, but like a, just a concrete timeline that people have credited them for. They also did manage to come out of the offseason with like plus one pick or like negative one. Like they they actually did not consolidate as much as you might think. Like they were still like pick total at the beginning of the summer versus pick total now. It's actually not that different. Uh, so they might get to a point just because of how good Houston's trajectory seems and then like how good the Clippers sort of still are. Those picks in theory, like don't feel like they're going to be as sexy as when we were first talking about them that OKC is getting. So does that lead them to move them? And maybe they make another consolidation trade. It could also work out not in their favor, because like I said, Houston feels like it's on the right track. And so the picks, when they start conveying, I think the first is in 24, right? To OKC. 
Uh, I don't think there'll be a contender, but like we might not be talking about this lottery pick that everyone assumed it was going to be. No, I, I think, you know, what's that's kind of why I didn't mention the Brooklyn picks when we talked about Houston, because I think because Brooklyn decided to blow it up as quickly as they did, those those Nets picks actually may end up being the reverse, right? Be, like we baked in the Nets pick being the Nets picks being possibly really, really good because Kevin Durant was going to be like 39 when they started conveying. <laughs> Right. Like now Kevin Durant is might be gone. Right. Now Kyrie Irving might be gone. They might trade Ben Simmons again. Right. Like they they, they might be in a situation where, where they tear it down and by the time those Nets picks really start getting juicy, they're not as juicy anymore. Right. So that's kind of why, why I baked that you know, what your 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 mentality on the OKC's picks, I kind of baked that in on Houston's picks moving forward. Um, yeah, and like, really, it is. Uh, I guess a lot of what's driving your ranking on OKC is like, um, and I, I don't actually disagree with you ranking them high. I do disagree with the the Shea thing. You know, I, I like Shea a lot, and he played really well. I think he had like a fifty seven. He's like a career fifty seven percent true shooting guy. He's like twenty four points per game last year, uh, like up to six and a half assists or something off the top of my head. I haven't seen the stats in a minute, but like he was. He was, he's ridiculous. He's ridiculous, but I can't see him ever be, becoming like the best player on a championship team. And because he's not that guy at age 23 and because, you know, they just drafted a 20 year old and they, you know, they drafted um, a 19 year old last year. Like, I think they're kind of probably going to be in a situation where they might have to trade both him and Dort by the time they become good, but that's in a while, right? I, I, I can see that trade happening in like three years, not like in any time in the immediate future, right? Um, so yeah, I, I I have no problem with you ranking OKC this high. I just, I, I think we disagree on kind of the margins. I think, you know, some of their decisions in the draft, you know, with with both with Jang and Shangoon, um, I like Jalen Williams a lot. You know, I thought that was a good pick. Um, but in general, I, I just... Sometimes it, it kind of feels like they're they become you know giddy as well. I thought that I didn't really like that pick as much as others did. You know, I thought you know there were I still don't. Yeah, yeah. I think there were better players there. Um, yeah, it just it, it kind of reads to me as hubris, right? Like you're kind of you you kind of think you're outsmarting the the rest of the NBA market, where it's like you know just take the obvious guy. Sometimes it's okay. I mean, it could be, but I also respect, I mean, they certainly have a type, like when you're looking at Jang, like they've gravitated towards that and they want like big, like size and length is how, and they've decided they'll figure out shooting later. And I would just like to point out part of this is like Chip England is all of a sudden there. And so him and Fred yeah. Vincent in New Orleans, like they're known as just like the shot doctors around the league. I'm not saying that Lou Dort's going to be a 45% three point shooter, but just, or Giddy's going to improve a bunch or that Usman Jang is going to be fine. But could you envision one of those guys? Like, let's say Jang or Giddy, like being competent from three point range all of a sudden now that they have that type of like player development there. For uh, sure. It's also look the West ranking these teams in the West is just so futile because it's just like to get really up there. I know some of these teams are going to phase in and out when we're looking at the top of the, but like teams like the Pelicans or the Wolves, um, the, I mean like the Warriors having their youngsters there, like, and the Nuggets, like Jokic is still super young. Like a lot of these contenders aren't going anywhere. And some of them are probably going to get better. Like Dallas probably has to figure out its shit at some point around Luca, you would hope. Uh, so it's tough. And so like you could see, you're talking Houston or OKC. To me, they're almost interchangeable in the sense that like if we just jumped ahead three to four years, like just so much changes in the NBA now. And it's so much harder still. I think the top of the West is still more, especially when uh, the Clippers and Nuggets are both healthy. 
Like that's a thicker, more robust top of the conference than the East has. And so that's going to be tougher inherently for you to crack. Yeah, it is interesting. Uh, you feel this way about Shea and it didn't feel that way about Fox. You know, it, it, like, you know, as in like, like that kind of level player they could possibly become. And like Fox think, was the guy with the pedigree, you know? Right. And the, he, look, he still is. But like, I'm also, so I saw the way Shea defended basically his first two years in the league. And I've you, never you, seen that from De'Aaron Fox. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing is just like, Shea offensively, and I know he was shut down like part of the way through and was injured, but you go back and watch that first season in OKC, our uh, second season, his second season, the first of the rebuild. My God, man, like that, that dude looked like he was it. Like, and he was taking such difficult shots. If that never replicates, I think part, I think it really did hurt him last year a little bit playing with Josh Giddy. Uh, but now that you have like Chet Holmgren to help you open up the floor, Kenridge, like, I'm just. I'm so high on Shea. Give me all like this to me. That seems like the guy who could be an all NBA player that just doesn't get like when you look at players who haven't made an all-star team yet and aren't going into year one or two and like said, well, who could still make an all NBA team? Like I look at Shea as that guy. I know some people might think it's Jalen Brown. Maybe it's De'Aaron Fox, whatever, but I think it's Shea. Yeah. And as Jalen Brown made an all-star team, excuse me. I apologize. No, no, no. I I hear you. Uh, And as much as, you know, I like what Monty McNair has done in Sacramento, like Sam Presti definitely has like a better reputation. Like he's just like the more proven general manager. Right. And like, that's true that, that, you know, like a, a lot of, you know, a lot of putting OKC this high, which, you know, again, I don't disagree with anyone putting OKC as high as one on this list is that organization is just one of the best in basketball. Right. Like I can, I can, the, the reason I constantly bring, like say we need to forgive Sam Presti for the James Harden trade is because he's just done so much good since that point. Like he's, I think he's wiped his slate clean. He's done more than enough to do that, you know. Like he's just one of the best GMs in basketball. Our, you know, one can make the case he's arguably the best general manager in basketball, right? He's in that conversation because, and you know, same thing with you know, you know, the Kawhi Leonard whisperer, right? Like I, I think, I think a lot of this is, you know, they're, they have a great program there, uh, they have a great structure there, and banking in all that in your in the future rankings, I think it's you know that's wise because. When, when you believe in the organization making these picks, making these long-term decisions, like you're more confident in their ability to make the right decisions, right? Like you're, you're more confident that they'll make the right cons- consolidation trade in the future, right? I, I think once they, once they get in a situation where they have to trade three or four picks, I'm more confident that they're going to make a, a trade for like a real superstar versus like, you know, Rudy Gobert, right? Like it's not, and you know, I like Gobert. I'm not, I'm not this is not, I don't want to on to the Timberwolves here, but like I just I think I think Sam Presti's the guy to make the correct kind of move with those kind of picks. For sure, I'm with you there. Yeah. Um. I I sorry for wasting so much of your time. By the way, we did not plan to go this long. We did not plan to go at all. But we did we did manage to get a successful podcast in the books. Uh, do you have anything you're working on? You want to plug your Twitter? Go ahead. Yeah, uh, just get at me on Twitter. It's my name that's on the screen, at Dan Favalli, spelled like that, F-A-V-A-L-E. And then check out the Hardwood Knox podcast, a seriously unserious NBA podcast. Hardwood Knox, spelled exactly as it sounds. You don't give yourself enough credit. It's the reason I wanted you on episode 250. You know, I, 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 think you're, I think you're very, very good at this. I appreciate it as a kind words as usual. And this, this was a blast, an unplanned blast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I always, always enjoy recording with you, Dan. Uh, if you're a fan of the podcast, please subscribe to the Apollo Houston YouTube channel where all these videos go. Uh, make sure to uh, give this video a thumbs up. Is that what it's called? Is that is that the YouTube lingo? Thumbs up? I call it a like. 
yeah, give it a like, whatever it is. I, again, I'm new to the space. So give the give the YouTube video a like. Uh, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, all that. Uh, give us a favorable rating on iTunes because it helps other people find the show. Uh, subscribe to RedNationNoops.com, the newsletter. Uh, you know, if you want a free episode of this podcast every month, uh, you, all you have to do is subscribe. And yeah, guys, have a good rest of your day.